So if the pill might not be the right choice for you, what do you say is the right choice? Right. I mean, this is this is a really tricky issue, but I mean, it's getting at what you're saying. I mean, it's like when you have hormonal contraception, right? When you have the birth control pill, you're rewriting women, right? You're just rewriting who they are um, in the service of making this one small change, which is, you know, suppressing ovulation. And so is that the best way to do it? Is the best way to um, prevent pregnancy to totally rewrite everything, you know, that sort of creates the experience of being who a woman is. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that hormonal contraceptives can affect a woman's anxiety. Psychologists in Germany at a university whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it probably rhymes with botchum, (laughs) (laughs) have studied in what way hormonal contraceptives affect anxiety therapy. And they found in a pretty good study that women who were on the pill benefited less from exposure therapy than women who didn't use oral contraceptives. They looked at 28 women who had contraceptives, at least the hormone contraceptives, and 26 who didn't use any oral contraceptives All of them had the same kind of anxiety and took part in the same treatments. And the hypothesis from the study, they're saying these results might be caused by the fact that oral contraceptives affect central learning and memory processes in exposure therapy. And exposure therapy, if you don't know about that, is called extinction learning, where previously learned associations between stimuli and your phobias are unlearned. So you expose yourself in small amounts to something that scares you until you learn not to be scared. But if you're on the pill, apparently you stay scared. That's not a good sign. And there are other studies on animals and humans that show extinction learning itself is impaired by oral contraceptives. They think it might be because of the reduced estradiol level from the contraceptives themselves. And if you read My very, very, very first book from 2011, The Better Baby Book, I wrote about this. And if you read Superhuman, my very latest book on how to live to 180, I talk about hormones and what they do to your aging and your brain and everything else. Bottom line is you want to pay attention to these things. Today's guest is Sarah E. Hill, a PhD and a leading researcher in the field of evolutionary psychology. And she wrote a book that made me actually do a little dance. Trust me, you don't want to see that. And... Her book is called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. And Sarah's a, quote, real scientist because she has 50 scientific publications, in some of them in multiple prestigious research uh, uh, journals and multiple grants to her credit. So she's really an authority on applying evolutionary thinking to human behavior and psychology. You'll see quotes from her in, I don't know, Scientific American, The Economist, New York Times, little little magazines and newspapers like that. So she's a big deal. Uh, so Sarah Hill, big deal. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, <laughs> that was probably the most fun introduction I've had in at least a year. But I'm just I'm <laughs> genuinely happy that you wrote about this because it's a it's a controversial topic. I mean, birth control is a fundamental thing that allows women to have control of their own biology. That's at the core of biohacking. And here you are standing up here as a woman going, maybe the way we're doing it isn't so good for us. Have you just taken a lot of flack for this? You know, I was actually expecting to take a lot more flack than I've gotten so far. Um, you know, knock on wood. 
Um, I, you know, whenever people raise questions about birth control for women, um, there's a reflex that happens if you're a woman, um, where you, you sort of, you know, your fur stands on end and you're, um, you get ready to attack because, um, you know, especially in this current political climate, there's a lot of people, you know, trying to attack women's ability to regulate their fertility and, um, and our ability to choose and all of these things. Um, but this book is really just about giving us all the information that we need to be able to think about birth control in a, in in an informed way, um, and in ways that, uh, women just haven't been told about until now. Um, you know, most of the conversations that women have about the birth control pill over the last 60 years since it came on the market have been about how it makes them feel psychologically and, you know, like the experiences that they have and these sort of experiential things. Um, and their doctors aren't talking to them about that. Um, and so this is really finally giving women the information that they need to just really think about, yeah, like, is this the best way for me to be regulating my fertility? Um, and, uh, if it is, how do I sort of troubleshoot and yeah, how do I um, hack my birth control prescription? And if it's not, um, then what else can I be doing? My wife, uh, Dr. Lana, Carolyn's good trained physician, uh, you know, real MD. And right. uh, she does exclusively work with women who are trying to get pregnant now. Uh, she does it all over mm-hmm. Skype. And a lot of them who've been on the pill, they're having a hard time when they go off the pill, or it takes six months or a year to get things mostly normal uh, before mm-hmm. they can have kids. And they didn't know it when they went on it when they were 16 or, or 18 because they had. Uh, you know, PCOS or endometriosis, or they just decided it was the right time. Uh, and so your idea of a law of unintended consequences, it, it's a real deal. Um, what what are the big things that happen aside from your anxiety therapy might not work? Uh, with the big things that happen in women's bodies they might not know about from birth control pills? I mean, the thing is, you know, the, the, first of all, it's just this idea that, um, you know, our sex hormones um, are part of the signaling architecture that our brain uses, like to create the experience of being the person that we are. And so when we change women's sex hormones, which is what we do with the birth control pill, um, it's going to change all sorts of, you know, like activities in terms of psychological functioning. And so what the research shows is that um, when women are on the birth control pill, it does influence everything ranging from their ability to learn and remember things. It influences potentially who they're attracted to, who they choose as romantic partners. It influences the nature of the stress response. It influences their tendency toward things like anxiety and depression. Um, and it, it also influences a whole host of other, you know, bodily systems ranging from thyroid function to auto, you know, to the immune system. And so like changing, you know, it's like when, when women go on the pill, they always just think about what it's doing to their ovaries. Um, but hormones just can't work that way because hormones go and they travel everywhere in the body that blood goes. And so when you take a hormone, it's going to influence every single cell in your body that has receptors for those hormones. And for women, you know, because reproduction and pregnancy um, is something that requires almost all of women's bodily systems to have a workaround, right? Because you can't work the same way if you're a circulatory system when you have two humans instead of one. You -hmm. can't work the same way when you're a digestive system if you're like trying to feed two humans instead of one. The immune system has to change what it's doing. I mean, every single one of the body systems has to change what it's doing in response to pregnancy. And because of this, 
almost all of the systems in women's bodies are sensitive to sex hormones. And so when you change that and you blunt the activities of women's own naturally cycling sex hormones and replace it with this daily dose you know, of these relatively low levels of estrogen and then these relatively high levels of synthetic progesterone or progestin, it's going to have pervasive changes on the body from top to bottom, including the brain. That's where like, there's so many receptors um, for sex hormones in the brain. And, and so that was really what I was interested in is what is, you know, what does it mean for women and the way that they think, the way that they feel, the way that they experience the world um, to have this, um, this change in sex hormones. The, the very first book that really brought my attention to this came out, I think, in 2001. Uh, and it was by this renegade researcher named T.S. Wiley. Um, and it was called Sex, Lies, and Menopause. And very well researched, lots of, of little links in the back of the book that said, hey, there's a downside, particularly cancer and heart disease and things like that from the birth control pill. And since then, based on a pretty good body of evidence, I've been telling the women that I care about, like, hey, <laughs> this is not how you prevent pregnancy in a way that serves you. And you should get pregnant when you're ready to get pregnant and not before then. Mm -hmm. And you know you you deserve and have a right to all the support necessary to do that. But if you could do without self-harm, that would be better for you and better for everyone. Uh, but it's you know the people who are my friends they're, they're they understand where that's coming from. But a lot of people, um, when especially when that book came out, this was you know almost 20 years ago. Man, it was like, it was super unpopular, like an assault on, on fundamental freedoms. Right. How do you, how do you tell women? Okay. So if the pill might not be the right choice for you, what do you say is the right choice? Right. I mean, this is, this is a really tricky issue, but I mean, it's getting out what you're saying. I mean, it's like when you have hormonal contraception, right? When you have the birth control pill, you're rewriting women, right? You're just rewriting who they are. Um, in the service of making this one small change, which is, you know, suppressing ovulation. And so is that the best way to do it? Is the best way to um, prevent pregnancy, to totally rewrite everything, you know, that sort of creates the experience of being who a woman is. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, no, right? Like that, that's, that's like a really thin ice. Everything that makes a woman who she is. Well, it is. I mean, because when you when you understand the role that hormones play yeah. in terms of influencing the activities of the brain, and when we like remember the fact that we're biological creatures and that the experience of being the person that we are is the result of chemical and electrical signaling going on in our brain, chief among which is directed by our sex hormones. I mean, that's really what we're doing. We're rewriting women. And um, so, you know, hormonal contraception, it it may make sense at some points in your life, even, you know, all of this being aside, but are there other options? Yeah, there's other options. And I think that um, in particular, you know, there's non-hormonal um, IUDs. So the non-hormonal intrauterine devices, um, those are well tolerated by a lot of women. Um, they're not tolerated well by everybody because those um, do cause a local uh, inflammatory response um, and inflammation, just like uh, just like hormones, um, it they influence what the brain does. And so, for some women, um, even though you know the non-hormonal IUD is supposed to you know not have any psychological side effects, it can. 
And it's because inflammation is known to influence um, anxiety levels, influence um, depression, influence, you know, sleeping patterns and other things. And so even the copper IUD, which um, if women tolerate it well, because some women don't really, they're not very sensitive to changes in like small changes in inflammation. Other women are. And for women who are, it's not going to be a good choice. And then the question becomes, all right, uh, you know, what, what then? And, you know, there's... Um, cycle tracking and, um, you know, the, the fertility awareness method where women are able to keep track of where they are, um, in terms of their, uh, their fertility across the cycle and then using barrier methods during times in the cycle when, um, conception is possible, um, or just using barrier methods all the time. I mean, really, we were, uh, we were indoctrinated at least when I was in middle school and all like, you know, you, you can't rely on, on fertility awareness and, you know, other, right. uh, other related methods, but the, the science is very clear. Uh, right. when a woman's health is reasonably okay, not even great. And you have a relatively regular cycle, you know, and, and it's not that hard to learn The apps can be really helpful. Jolene Brighton's been on and talked about mm-hmm. um, her perspective and her book on, cycle yeah. sinking and things like that. Uh, what ends up happening is, um, you know, and you're like, okay, I better not have sex in this you know, five-day window without a barrier method uh, because, well, uh, then there's a, a risk. And you actually know. And the rest of the time, you right. can say with 100% certainty, I'm not going to get pregnant here. And if you're just coming off the pill and your cycle's irregular, you don't have 100% certainty. But it it's one of those things about just taking responsibility for learning right. how your body feels and works. And I can say this as a guy uh, who doesn't have to deal with that, but how, you know, being married to a woman who focuses on fertility is a doctor and knows when she's fertile, and she'll tell me, I'm fertile now. And the, the thing that most people don't talk about, though, is when a woman's fertile, what is she most likely to do? Yeah, she wants sex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Darn, stupid evolution. <laughs> yeah, stupid evolution. It's like evolution would have it no other way. Like, no other way. Yeah. So this is the time when women want to be having sex. I mean, in fact, like that's, that's usually how, um, like I'm reminded of where I am in my cycle. If I'm not looking directly at my phone, it's like, if I'm like really wanting sex, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm guessing that. Oh yeah. Lo and behold, look, look where I'm at right now. Um, and if you're, if you're ovulating and you walk into a room full of guys, what happens? Right. They also want to have sex with they me, all, the populating woman. <laughs> yeah, their heads all turn. They don't know why their heads turn. They don't know why you look so hot that day, but it's because you're ovulating and their body knows and your body knows. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, it's the time when um, when sex is most likely to happen. It's the time when men are most likely to be attracted to women. It Like men prefer the smell of women when they're at high fertility. They prefer the appearance of them. Um, they flirt with them more. They get a big rise in uh, testosterone just from interacting with ovulating women. Um, and they think that it's because of picking up on the scent-related cues. And the thing that another thing that kind of sucks about the birth control pill is like um, because it's keeping estrogen really low because the moneymaker and all of this stuff in terms of women being really attractive and desirable in the way that they smell and the way that they look to men and um, in their own feelings of being sort of feeling sexy and alive and like they want to have sex. All of those things are linked with estrogen. I mean, those are like driven by estrogen. And so when you take the birth control pill and you kill fertility and you kill estrogen and the the amounts that you get in the pill are so low it's like you're never getting any of these benefits 
And so what happens a lot of times with women when they're on the birth control pill is they kind of feel like, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah version of themselves. They don't feel sexy and vibrant and they, they sort of lose touch with the, those sorts of, you know, parts of who they are. And, um, what I've heard from a lot of women um, coming off the pill and I had this, I had this experience myself is that once I transitioned off of it, I just felt like, whoa, like, hello. Like I forgot about this. Like I forgot that I was a sexual creature and I forgot that I, really liked noticing men. And I forgot that I like to have sex and I like to think about it. And because I wasn't doing any of that when I was on the pill. And, um, wow. I mean, I was having sex, but I wasn't like thinking about it. It was like something I was doing, like, you know, going to the grocery store or like, like, you know, check Mark, um, have sex, check Mark, empty the dishwasher. Um, it wasn't something that was like a part of who I was, was like, you know, being feminine and being, you know, female. And then once I went off of it, I was able to experience all of that again. And it really, um, it really can, uh, make your life feel kind of flat and, um, and, and, and it kind of kills your vibrancy to, to go so long without a, with, without, you know, a peak of fertility. John Gray, author of you know the Mars Venus series uh, and a and a dear friend, has been on the show a couple times, and he talks a lot about how what really raises testosterone in men is actually doing things for women <laughs> during certain <laughs> parts of the cycle. Like so, right. I would right. argue that there's other unintended consequences even beyond what is in your book. You know, this is your brain oh, on yeah. birth control. It, it's that when women suppress those cycles, men who respond very handily to those cycles, yes. we will also change in response to that. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, there's research showing um, just even men smelling the scent of women um, and they took um, armpit swabs, but mm -hmm. they also took vaginal swabs of these women and men, um, they love the smell of women when they're at high fertility. They just like the way they smell all over the place and it increases their testosterone all over the place. And so imagine if you're partnered with a woman who's not having these sort of estrogen surges and you're not getting the benefit of having this partner that just smells and, and tastes and, and just seems so delicious and yummy to you, um, that can't be good for the relationship and it can't be good for, yeah, how men feel about their partners and, and the degree to which men are motivated to please their partners. And so, I mean, I think that the, the sort of ricocheting effects of the birth control pill, you know, on, you know, what women's brains are doing and what the rest of their body is doing and then their relationships with their partners. And then, you know, just the world at large is something that we we've just begun to scratch the surface um, into looking at. I have an unsubstantiated theory that I am betting will be substantiated. I love um, it. Let's hear it. So I've looked at mitochondrial biology and systems biology in a pretty heavy level from the perspective of a computer hacker. I have a, a let's see, a concentration in one of my degrees is in a form of artificial intelligence. So I, I think like, yeah. like that. And I looked at where you find mitochondria in the human body. In our brain neurons, 15,000 mitochondria. In your heart neurons, 15,000 mitochondria. That's about as big as it gets, except... A few cells in the ovaries have 100,000 mitochondria. Wow. And the role of mitochondria is not the power plants or the cells. That's one of the roles. They actually make hormones. 
they're they're receptive of and responsive to hormones. But what they're doing is they're sensing the environment around you and then doing what they think as individual little tiny processing nodes. There's a quadrillion of them that drive a lot of behaviors, including that I must have sex now behavior. But I think that what they're doing is they're sensing the environment around you and saying, you know what? This is the right egg for you right now to have the most optimal chances of surviving. Because some mechanism we don't know decides which egg gets dropped. I think it's mitochondrial. Because that's what they do, and that's why there's so many of them there. Otherwise, why would Mother Nature put so many of those expensive little power plants right by the ovaries? Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If if that's true, and it may or may not be, we don't know, then if you take the pill and it changes the way you respond to the environment around you, uh, and it messes up that system, it's going to mess up you know, the way people smell. And we know there are studies like that. Women think their mate is smells sexy, and then they go off the pill, they're like, oh my God, he stinks. I can't have sex with him. How big of a right. deal is that? Right. No, that's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a really big deal. I mean, these are women's lives, right? I mean, these are women's life choices that they're making. And the idea that, um, that we're, you know, sort of setting up this, situation where we can have women making major decisions about their lives, um, whether it's like who their partner is or the degree to which they want to be investing in um, their work versus life um, at times when a lot of them are on the birth control pill. Like, And then what happens to women and how they feel about their choices after they stop taking it. And the same thing with, yeah, I mean, it's like the same thing with um, the rest of the body. I mean, who knows what's, what's going on with... Um, with, uh, fertility, you know, you were talking about the fact that your wife, um, like interacts with women who are having challenges with fertility after being on the birth control pill for so long. And there isn't, um, currently there's not, you know, a a lot of research that suggests that being on the pill does anything to harm fertility. But I, I keep hearing this reported, um, with, you know, such frequency that I think that we probably just don't really know what the full picture is anyway. Yeah. Now, in your book, you Mm -hmm. say straight up, pill-taking women exhibit an unwavering preference for the types of relatively less masculine faces and voices preferred by naturally cycling women. Yes. So remember what I said earlier about how guys respond to women? Mm -hmm. Uh, Daniel Amen, uh, a dear friend who's been on the show several times, the change your brain, change your life, a a big deal in psychiatry. He just interviewed me this morning uh, about my new book. And he said, Dave, do you have any thoughts about why teenage males and young males are having an epidemic of low testosterone? I've never seen anything like it in my career. And do you think it's possible that guys are like, oh, wow, the women around me aren't, um, you know, aren't uh, right. doing what they normally do hormonally. I'm going to tweak my own testosterone production in order to do that. Because guys, we're pretty much slaves to women, like biologically. Well, no, <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely, no, no. That's fascinating. No, I think that um, I think that that absolutely could be the case, and that just really um, that just made the little hairs on my neck stand on end because I think that that is that could be absolutely spot on. I mean, one of the things that I talk about in the book is, um, even like, uh, cause that, that's just an, uh, I mean, that's obviously an unconscious, you know, sort of biological shift that's going on with men where obviously, you know, there's no like conscious level awareness that's going on in terms of men, you know, sort of thinking and calculating, you know, gosh, there doesn't seem to be any 
estrogen in the air, and therefore I'm going to downregulate my testosterone production. I'll just but go I mean, vegan right now. That'll yeah, work. exactly, exactly. That'll <laughs> do the trick. It always does the trick. Yeah, but, but even like at the at the sort of larger like conscious level, like one of the things I talk about in the book is you know another epidemic that we currently have in. Um, and you've probably seen the effects of this firsthand is that um, like dudes are just like not doing a lot. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, like in terms of like in my college classrooms, it's like overwhelmingly female. The females are graduating at higher rates. You know, there's more, like more female valedictorians now. Females are entering fields like medicine and and law and all these other um, areas, um, like these getting these advanced degrees. And not only are women doing better, but men are doing worse. So men aren't applying to postgraduate programs at the rate that they used to. They're not going into managerial positions at the rate that they used to. And I, you know, I've always um, sort of thought that in part there's a motivational shift that's also going on because, um, you know, when and it could be in part because like men are like actually like they're not sensing that there's any estrogen in the air. Yeah. Right. And so they're just like not motivated to really do anything. Um, but also even the the behavioral changes that go on with the pill with women sort of being more willing to have sex with men who've achieved less. Um, I think also, <laughs> yeah, well, I think that it, well, it's because, you know, we don't have to worry about getting pregnant anymore. And so women now will have sex with men that like our great grandmothers wouldn't have dreamed of having sex with because, um, you know, he lives in his mom's basement and plays video games all day. But like if he's cute, you know, now like women, because we can feel all but completely certain that we're not going to end up pregnant, um, women have sort of lowered their standards for sexual partners. And I think that also has played a role in sort of demotivating men to achieve anything, because if you can get laid like without doing anything, why would you do anything if you're a guy? <laughs> hey, don't tell people how guys think. That, that's not nice. Yeah, well, it's like there's this. Um, Do you ever see the quote from um, from Aristotle Onassis? It, it says, um, "Without women, all the power and money in the world would be meaningless." Uh, it is a, absolutely true. It, it speaking from a guy's perspective, there's a lot of wisdom to that. And yeah. even Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, there's a whole okay. chapter in there. And I, I put a chapter in Game Changers about this. Yeah. He calls it sexual sublimation. And he wrote Think and Grow Rich mostly for men uh, because of the time it was written in the 30s or 40s, whenever it was. Uh, and and he's like, look, you know, don't don't waste all that energy. Like that, that desire to procreate is the same as the desire to create. And whether you're right. creating a company, a career, you know, writing a great book, whatever it is, if you waste it, then you get guys where we're not getting environmental, uh, you know, feminine cues the way we we would have, and there's an abundance of porn and distractions and bad sleep and all that. And no wonder you just want to live in your grandmother's basement. You know, it's, yeah, it's, exactly, okay. exactly. Play video games. That's really fascinating. Like I'm, um, I don't know that I'm going to get that out of my brain. That idea of because um, if you're not getting the normal fertility cues that historically um, men have used to sort of gauge. Um, what the level of sort of, you know, like quality of women is in the environment. If, if they're not getting any of the typical cues, then yeah, why invest in testosterone production yeah. when it's physiologically and metabolically costly to do so? Mm -hmm. And why invest in an advanced degree to get you access to women when there aren't really any worth 
fighting for anyway. I don't know what, what it, <laughs> my, my, like, it's fascinating. There's a lot of uh, probably put upon guys right now going, wait, we care about more than women. Of course we do. Like, like we're right. mission driven and all that at a bottom line though is, and you know this cause you look at evolutionary psychology, uh, but for listeners, it's that look, a huge number of your behaviors are unconscious and designed to keep you alive. I am a hundred percent 100% certain that those behaviors all, 100%, come from mitochondrial rules in a distributed operating right. system in the body. I could be wrong. I'm just not. So right. <laughs> how's that for academia? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and I always, um, I, 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 I'm so used to, um, like, I talk about these things and they sort of flip in offhand ways. And of course, there's like more to it than that. But I mean, ultimately, you know, traits um, that promote uh, survival and traits that promote reproduction uh, get inherited, right? And, yeah. and and traits that get inherited are those that have led to sex. And so our brains are just like absolutely wired from top to bottom um, for sex and then, um, and then caring, of course, for our children. So that way they can go and have sex and then their children can have sex. And so, um, it's, it's, it's really at the heart of a lot of what it means to be human. Um, even some of the most like profound, beautiful acts of, you know, kindness are, can ultimately sort of, they have a, sex has a hand in them. Well, I mean, there's the stereotypical, in fact, read Robert Greene's, uh, the art of seduction. And he, he talks about the stupid things that guys will do for a woman. And there's actually five categories and how you can use those to woo a woman. Uh, and it, it's fascinating. But you get you know, the, the guy who will make a total ass of himself to prove himself to a woman. And you know Helen of Troy inspired wars. People would go to war and die for a woman. And I think that's actually how guys are wired at a very base level. And of course... If you meditate, if you're conscious, you've done your work, you realize, okay, I have these urges, I have these desires, and I own them, and I shape them, and I control them, and I use them for the higher good. And if you're a douchebag, you probably walk around <laughs> <laughs> acting like a jerk all the time. Uh, we right. all know those kinds of people. Uh, but if we turn down the volume for both men and women um, mm -hmm. through the environment, which includes the pill, but isn't just the pill, but I think the pill is a major right. issue the way you've called out in your book. Um, I, I love it that you're willing to go out there and do it. And I also like it that it's not a guy writing the book. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. And, and I also don't, um, I don't know that a guy could actually do it. You know, I mean, it's, um, it, this is a, this is a really, um, nuanced conversation, um, to have with women. Um, and it's, it's nuanced because, you know, this is, this is a really big deal for women, the, you know, just the ability to regulate our fertility and having some guy, telling us, you know, like, well, here's all of these things that you, you know, uh, didn't think about with the pill and, um, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I think that a lot of women would have a harder time with the message. And even yeah. as it is like, um, you know, I, I was very careful when I was writing the book just to make sure that, um, women were like aware that I'm not like trying to scare you off the pill. And I don't think anything in the book is like, scary and it's not, you know, alarming, like, you know, um, you know, the house is on fire, house is on fire, but rather it's just like, Hey, we probably haven't thought about this. I think we've been really cavalier with how we've treated women's hormones and we treat them as being this, you know, thing that influences what our ovaries are doing and nothing else. Um, and so it's just really about, um, you know, giving, uh, giving women a, the paradigm shift that they need, um, in order to really think carefully um, about uh, about hormonal contraception, I think that the pill is is very 
disrespectful of women's health and biology and even just the, the very base of what it means uh, to be feminine, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're turning off core valuable systems. And it, it's almost a continuation of this mindset that was there in my parents' generation, the one before then. Oh, you're done with kids? Well, hysterectomy. We'll just pull all that stuff right. out. You don't need that anymore. And right. it turns out you might have wanted to, and it's, it's extremely patriarchal. Uh, right. Right. So I, I would just, for all the women listening, in fact, there's slightly more women than men who listen to Bulletproof Radio, but it's pretty well balanced. But all the guys um, listening have women, friends, or partners uh, who are uh, also affected by this. And, and so it's it's just worth talking about. And I love it that you just came out there and you did it. Thanks. I'm I'm curious about pheromones, though. What okay. effect does the pill have on pheromones and how important are pheromones? Okay, well, so pheromones, you know, th- this is one of those things where um, research doesn't yet quite have a handle on pheromones and like what they are and what they do. But um, you know, presumably, right, there are scent-based cues um, we know from research that when estrogen is high, again, you know, right near peak fertility, when women are found maximally desirable and um, sort of sexy to men, um, that women, you know, are s- smelling better to men. So surely there's some pheromonal involvement, right, where women are sort of um, having different types of pheromones at high fertility compared to low fertility, and that that's influencing how desirable they are. But on the other side of things, um, we also know that one thing that estrogen does is it increases um, the, our, the sensitivity of our neurons um, and our ability to pick up on um, fine-tuned differences between important stimuli in the environment, um, including scent. So there's been research showing like when you compare sensory acuity um, based on scent, so smell, Um, pill taking women, it takes them longer. You basically have to clobber them over the head with the smell in order for them to detect differences in between one smell and another smell. Whereas when women are at high fertility in the cycle, their threshold for being able to detect scents is very, it's, it's very low. They can, they can detect really small differences between different types of scents and in particular male related scents. So what they found is that um, women at high fertility are particularly um, sort of astute um, at distinguishing differences between different levels of um, um, adrosterone, which is a, um, a metabolite of testosterone. So women are able to like detect really small differences in um, in levels of that compound, and also like a musk related scent, which is like a just sort of a guy smell. That um, you know sort of approximates what um, like differences in male body odor, and so in addition to women themselves having a different pheromonal profile, right, um, when they're on the pill versus off of the pill, um, and in a way that isn't helping their own desirability, women might also be less able to discriminate um, between high and low quality partners um, because their their senses just aren't very uh, keen. They're you not really you can't smell the good ones. Yeah, you can't smell the good one. You can't smell the difference. Yeah, you can't smell the difference between them. And, you know, there's been a lot of, because um, there's been research showing that, you know, women who are on the pill um, uh, choose partners who are less masculine, right? They have less masculine faces than um, than uh, women, than partners that are chosen by women who are naturally cycling. Um, and, and it could be, right, that the women who are on the pill, I mean, it could be just a facial preference, but it also could be that they're not really tuned into these scent-based cues 
um, that are linked with um, that are linked with uh, testosterone presence. But there's also been research showing that um, women who are on the birth control pill also don't seem to be sensitive to um, differences in um, MHC compatibility. Do you know about what MHC genes I are? I do, but I think a lot of listeners. I bet your don't. listeners. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I, the listeners. Uh, I was asking the listeners, Dave, and you like, no, and you didn't, you interrupted. No, maybe. I'll speak for you. No, we don't no. know. <laughs> yeah, we know. Okay, perfect. No, so um, uh, our major histocompatibility genes are some of the genes that help um, code for. Um, genes related to our immune system. And the idea is that generally people prefer the scent of people whose uh, MHC genes are different than theirs. And um, the reason for this is that when you partner with somebody whose MHC genes are different than yours, um, it's going to allow your children to recognize a greater diversity of pathogens. And the reason for this, um, if you want to nerd out for a minute, is that um, MHC genes are um, co-dominantly expressed and so if you have different genes in your partner, everybody's genes gets ex- get expressed. Your partner's genes get expressed and yours get expressed. Because um, usually there's a thing where it's like whoever has the dominant genes, those are the ones that like sort of do their thing. But um, in the case of this, everybody's genes get expressed. And so the more diversity you get in MHC, these immune genes, um, the greater the ability to detect bad guys like germs and pathogens in the environment. So it makes for healthier kids. And what the research shows is generally people prefer the scent of people who have different immune genes in themselves, so whose MHC genes are different. Um, With pill-taking women, they don't find this at all. They don't seem to be able to distinguish. Because some studies have found that women who are on the pill prefer um, partners whose MHC genes are more similar, like that are similar to themselves. Others find that there's really no relationship, like women who are on the pill just don't really seem to have a preference for partners based on their MHC genes. My guess is that what's going on is that women, again, just given everything that we know that estrogen does to the brain, estrogens like miracle grow on um, neurons. It makes these little dendritic spines um, burst out um, from neurons, making them super sensitive to, um, you know, the stimuli in the environment. And, um, and given that the pill keeps estrogen so low all the time, and so you're not getting these like little, you know, birth of these dendritic spines that allow you to be able to detect fine-tuned differences between individuals, I don't think that pill-taking women are able to detect differences in, um, you know, partners based on their scent in terms of um, MHC compatibility or based on um, testosterone presence in the way that um, non-pill takers are. And like to what effect, right? And there's been some correlational studies. Now, these are very like early stage, like one study with maybe like 2000 families. But um, there was a, a study that was done where researchers compared the health of children um, by uh, women who like had chosen their uh, partners when they were on the birth control pill or off of the birth control pill. And what this research, this like sort of first crack into this research found was that um, women who chose their partners on the birth control pill, um, they reported that their children were having more health problems and had to go to the doctor more frequently um, than the children that were had by women who chose their partners when they're not on the birth control pill. Right. Which is consistent with this idea that there may be, it may be sort of influencing our, our, our picker, right? Like our, our mate choice picker and that it might be leading us to prefer partners that, you know, aren't compatible. And it could also be related to these fertility problems that you were talking about, because there's no research indicating 
so far. And again, like I said, I just don't think that they've studied this well enough yet. There's no research that has like conclusively demonstrated that the birth control pill has any impact on subsequent fertility, just in terms of, um, you know, HPG or hypothalamic pituitary gonadal function, right? So the functioning of your ovaries. But it could be that if you have women who are on the pill for XYZ number of years and they chose their partner when they were on the birth control pill, they chose somebody that they're not genetically compatible with. And there's a lot of research indicating that when women choose partners that um, have very similar MHC genes, um, that there's a greater rate of spontaneous abortion um, relative to what you find um, in uh, in couples that have um, MHC dissimilar genes. That is profound. So what's coming out of this, if you were to just play the odds and yes. you're a woman uh, and you're saying, you know, I think I'd like to meet the right guy and settle down. And I've had lots of my um, women friends uh, say that. In fact, some of them get almost a little bit desperate. Like, I just need to do this and it's just not happening. It sounds like it might be good advice to go off the pill. Yeah. Uh, Because because, uh, like what you just said, you're going to pick the right guy and you're going to feel more sexy and you're going to appear more sexy. So you'll be able to attract the right guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the way, the way I look at it, um, if I, you know, if I had to redo everything that I've done in in my life, um, I would never have been on the birth control pill when I wasn't partnered. Um, cause I, what I did, I did what so many women do. And that is that I went on it when I was in, you know, like sort of my first long-term, um, sexual relationship and I was like 17 or 18 and, and then I was on it and then I just, and, you know, and that relationship lasted maybe a year, you know, That's I was pretty good I was, for 17. Yeah, 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 I know. What can I say? It's like, yeah, I, um, yeah, it was, I, yeah, it was, it was a long, it was a long relationship, but then, then I, we broke up and, and I stayed on the pill. And so then, you know, I'd have boyfriends that would come and go, but I was just constantly on the pill. And so, um, because I just never went off it. Cause I thought, well, why do that? Cause it's easy to take and it cleared up my skin and all of these things. And so it was like, um, I wouldn't do that knowing everything that I know now. Um, you know, it's like, I may still have made the choice to be on the pill when I was on it because, um, I, my cycles were not regular and I was a hot disaster. I mean, like, (laughs) like I couldn't be counted on to do anything, um, let alone, you know, keep track of my cycles or remember to have condoms somewhere. Um, and so I may have still made the choice to be on it, but I would not be on it when I wasn't in a, a relationship because there's just like the, I, I, there's no reason, there was no reason to be, I mean, except for clearing my skin, but it was like, not, you know, it was like, who knows how that was interfering with, um, my ability to attract as good of a partner as I might've been able to, or to, um, to be able to discriminate between different partners and choose the right partner. So are you married or do you have a partner now? Do you have kids? Yeah, okay. yeah, I, yeah, I am married and I have kids. And, um, and that was a choice that, um, that I made not on the birth control pill. Um, and you know, so that like was, you know, fortuitous, but it was like a blip in the radar screen, you know, and think, you know, here, but by, by the great, whatever they say here, but by the grace of God, go I. Right, right. <laughs> So you, you lucked out on that one. I did. I mean, you know, it's, and knowing everything that I know now, I would have been much more strategic about it and intentional. Um, just because you really do 
miss out on um, not only your own sort of apex of attractiveness and desire and sort of, you know, feelings of vibrancy um, and attunement to men and, and, and feelings of sexiness, um, but just also just your ability to discriminate between different between partners and then and then choose the right one. I want to ask a really dark question. All right, let's hear it. I hope it doesn't piss a lot of people off. So there's been this long-standing throughout the ages, um, ill-conceived, inappropriate perception that you know the man owns the woman and controls the woman. And if another man looks at your woman the wrong way, you have to go get in a fight with him or start a war or whatever. You know all the all the negative sides of masculinity. Right. Um, and if your wife is unattractive because she's on the pill. I mean, the pill's been around for 60 years. 60 years ago, right. a lot of people looked at women that way. Like, was this, right. is, is there some dark angle here around, you know, controlling women in, in a way that maybe was on purpose or maybe wasn't on purpose? I, I don't know. I'm just looking about it. But like, what would the benefit to anyone be of, of women? I, something in the book that made me think of this, you talk about how when women are on the pill, when they look at pictures of their partners, they have the same biological response as if they're looking at a stranger. But right. when you're off the pill and you look at a picture of your partner, your reward centers of the brain light up. Like, like this is, this just seems really scary to be perfectly honest. Do you think right. there's any validity? I just made up that idea, but I'm sort of like, like this is dark and this is not serving women, right? So if it's not right. serving women and pretty much men did this to women, like, like men invented right. the pill. Right. Right. So I kind of wonder, you think, right. there, you think there's a little dark angle to it there, or am I just a conspiracy theorist today? Well, I do, I do think that you're a conspiracy theorist. There's no question about that. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but I, 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 that's actually like a really interesting question, right? Because, um, you know, for, I mean, women are veiled. Women have had their feet bound. Oh, yeah. You know, which, I mean, it's like they're, they're, men stuff. have been trying to control women's sexuality. Like, yeah, clitoridectomies. You yeah. know, like, I mean, like men have been trying to curtail women's sexuality and um, sort of keep them chaste and um, away from other men since the dawn of time. Guys and have so, a pretty like, bad track record there over the centuries, I got to say. Yeah, no kidding, right? It's like now that I'm saying all this stuff out loud, I'm like pissed off at my husband. And I'm like, and Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow is going to be, you know, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm going like, to the turkey. George. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I see what you're, I see the way you're trying to keep down Aunt Matilda over there. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's like we've been veiling women and do, doing all of these things um, as a means of curtailing female sexuality. And so is there a dark angle to this? Yeah, maybe there there could be, right? And even if it's like unconscious, yeah. um, you know, who knows? Because if you notice that your partner um, isn't, you know sort of as um, sort of sexy and doing all of these, you know, or noticing men, like I, yeah, it would certainly be in any man's best interest, um, you know, if his partner is not sort of toying with the idea of other men. And um, yeah, like, could this be a means of controlling women's sexuality? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really interesting angle on that. Yeah, too. it's a little little dark there. But, you know, for, for the record, I, I think that we're all better off when women are free to be women, even hormonally. Uh, and also, yeah. like, having trust in my own relationship, I think it's pretty cool when other guys look at my wife, because I'm like, I have an attractive wife. It, like, if they're going right. to go, yeah. you know, you know, be rude to her or something, that's a different conversation. But 
right. you know, it, it's okay to have a really feminine, attractive partner. And it's okay if other people know that, you know, you're together with someone right. like that as, from a guy's perspective. Well, so this reminds me of this study and I talk about it in my book and it's kind of a throwaway study where it's like, um, you know, there was this study where researchers were looking at mate guarding um, within r- romantic couples and mate guarding is sort of a, a psychologist way of saying like the things that you do um, to keep your partner from straying. And this can be like sort of things like just sending texts like, hey, how's it going? You know, what are you up to? Like that sort of thing. But also things like like trying to um, actualize your partner's desires, right? Like like doing sweet things and 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 being loving and, and, and caring and, um, you know, sort of like, yeah, doing the dishes. <laughs> and what the research found was that um, when uh, when men are partnered to women who are on the birth control pill, they don't do as much of that as um, as men who are partnered to naturally cycling women. Wow. And it's probably getting at this exact issue, right? Where it's like if a woman's um, sort of empty womb isn't at stake, right? And so she's not like, like she's not conceptive, right? So she her fertility is low and, you know, she's probably not all that like sort of letting off all of these cues associated with, you know, femininity and sexuality that men just, it just is demotivating to them. And again, like they're not gonna, you know, um, conquer Rome, um, if they don't have to. And so it's like, if, if, you know, men's wives aren't like sort of giving off these cues, it seems like men are less, um, inspired to, um, need to guard their mate, um, both in positive and in negative ways. And right? I guess part of mate guarding is bringing home a big paycheck. Right. I mean, there's okay. a lot of things, right? Mate guarding, you know, it can kind of run the gamut from really positive behaviors to really negative behaviors too, of course, because like sometimes men, when they're mate guarding, will, you know, do things like um, not, you know, threaten their partner not to leave the house and, you yeah. know, all of those, those sorts of things. And so I guess on the one side, it could be have some positive effects that way. But most mate guarding with like decent human beings um, who aren't despots right. um, take the form of like trying to actualize their partner's desires and like trying to make their partner happy. So that way they can maintain the integrity of the relationship. And so like to what degree the birth control pill might be harming our relationships that way is also something that's sort of, um, you know, potentially problematic, I think, for women. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. 
All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. It, it sounds like mate guarding all in all in healthy people is something that we want to encourage, which is uh, showing attentiveness, being kind, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, and if uh, you're one of the other kind of guys, uh, you need to go to a therapist and all that stuff and get your shit together. <laughs> all right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about stress response on the pill. Because you called out all kinds of stuff I didn't know. I, I kind of have a roster of why I share with friends and, and followers. You know, the pill is not really your best path to being a high-performance human. But you you taught me stuff in this book about stress response. What does the pill do to cortisol in women? Okay, so normally when a person's feeling stressed out, like if you or I um, had to go give a big presentation in front of a group of people, um, within a couple of minutes of doing that stressful thing, um, we would get a big rise in the stress hormone cortisol. And um, cortisol is kind of a um, it's kind of a redheaded stepchild of hormones. Like people tend to think of it as being a bad guy, um, but cortisol actually you know isn't what causes stress. Like cortisol isn't bad. Um, cortisol is um, a hormone that helps our body actually cope with stressful things. Um, and so when we experience something stressful, we get this big rise in stress hormones because that's basically changing everything that our body is doing um, to increase its ability to cope with the stress. So for example, one thing that cortisol does is it dumps fat and sugar into your bloodstream. So that way, if you're being chased by a hungry bear, you can make a fast getaway. Right. Another thing that it does is it primes the birth of new neurons in um, in the hippocampus. And this is what allows our brain to encode information as memories. Right. Because when we're in a stressful situation, we should remember what's going on. So that way, if something similar happens later on in the future, we are, we're better able to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, cortisol does a lot of these um, sort of stress management types of activities. It redistributes energy away from everything else our body is doing and focuses everything on stress. Now, what happens with pill taking women is that. Um, they don't get a rise in cortisol in response to stressful situations. So when you and I go up and give a, a presentation and a, and a talk, like we get this surge in stress hormones, it allows our body to be able to manage the stressor. We remember things better. Um, you know, we we sort of absorb the experience that we're having. And for um, for the um, pill takers, they don't get this. Um, and this is something that it might sound like it's an amazing side effect of the pill. Like, wow. So are you trying to tell me that if I, um, you know, if I, if I'm on the birth control pill that, um, I won't experience stress, but that's not at all the way that it works. Like you're still feeling really stressed out. You're just not able to cope with it. So the, the part of the stress response that makes our mouth go dry and our heart go fast and, you know, makes our voice quiver, that part of the stress response is totally intact in pill taking women. It's this cortisol response. That's not, um, and this is, you know, this is problematic for a lot of reasons. One of them is that, of course, like we have the cortisol response for a reason. It helps our body manage and cope with the stressor. And that is um, something that, um, you know, means that pill-taking women are probably less able to cope with stress. And there's a lot of research that indicates that that might be the case. Um, but the other thing that's potentially even more troubling than that about um, this and what it means is that, um, 
the type of pattern that we see in terms of the stress hormone cortisol and pill taking women looks very similar to um, the types of stress responses that we find in people who have um, post-traumatic stress disorder and also people who have experienced any sort of like childhood or like chronic trauma. And um, pill taking, and this is obviously something that's um, a little alarming. Um, and it suggests that the reason that pill taking women aren't getting a stress response um, in response to stressful things is because their stress response has shut itself off from overuse. And, um, and there's been um, some research now looking at whether or not women who are on the pill have other sort of biological markers of having experienced chronic stress. Um, and they have uh, several markers of um, like chronic stress that, that, that look like that of um, chronic stress victims. So for example, um, they have higher levels of tri triglycerides, which is what happens when you have um, when you have a cortisol like sort of over signaling. There's the changes in the risk for depression and anxiety that we tend to find in pill taking women compared to non pill taking women, and their hippocampi. So the hippocampus um, is an area of the brain that's responsible for learning and memory. That's this big thing. Um, and what you find in people who have experienced chronic stress and also in women who are on the birth control pill is that, um, they have smaller hippocampi, um, relative to their non pill taking counterparts. And the reason, um, that you see this, the reason that you see a shrunken hippocampus in the context of chronic stress, um, is because, um, neurons actually start to die because that area of the brain is so sensitive to the presence of stress hormones. And so when you get too much cortisol signaling, um, the, the neurons in the hippocampus begin to die, which can cause problems with learning and memory. And Okay, I got to step in there for yeah. a sec. Okay, just wrote this anti-aging book, uh, Superhuman, mm -hmm. and I talk specifically about hippocampal volume as something that you monitor and manage as you age. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in the 87th percentile. Uh, in my hippocampal volume, uh, when you look at the structures inside the brain. And I probably wasn't there when I was younger because of all the toxins I've been exposed to uh, and all just the environmental stressors and frankly, the emotional stressors that I, I have dealt with. And so if you want to look at how are you going to be when you're 80, if you're on the pill now and you shrink your hippocampus and it continues shrinking as you age, doesn't that increase risk for senile cognitive dementia, Alzheimer's, and all the other bad things that can happen to an old brain that's not well cared for? Yeah, no, probably. I mean, that's um, that's the thing that's really potentially alarming about this is that you know having a shrunken hippocampus is not a good thing, and it is something that's associated with um, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease. And we know that um, Alzheimer's disease is, in you know overwhelmingly female, um, problem, you know, uh, many more females are, uh, many more women are diagnosed with it than, than men. And, and there's, especially given what the research shows in terms of hippocampal volume and also everything that we know about what estrogen does to the brain, um, and like how good our sex hormones are in terms of, you know, promoting, uh, you know, brain sort of maintenance and like allowing these dendritic spines to sprout. And, um, it, it's, it, it, I don't think that it's probably the best thing for brain health, um, having long-term exposure to the birth control pill, just because you are keeping levels of estrogen so low 
and we know that estrogen is neuroprotective. And um, so what does that mean? You know, um, and there's just not enough research out there um, into especially the effects of long-term birth control pill use on women and on their brains. Um, and so this is like one of the next um, big pushes I hope to see in research is going to be better understanding these processes. Wow. Okay. So brain aging, not a good idea. Uh, what about anxiety, depression, and suicide of women who go on the pill? I did not know this data in, in, in your book. It was pretty damning. What did you find? Yeah, no, I think that this is really, um, this was really damning too. Um, and, and some new research has actually come out since the time that the book came out. That's even more that way, I think. Um, and so first of all, um, the, the research I present in the book suggests, um, and it's a really compelling case is made, um, for the birth control pill, um, and all of its, you know, hormonal analog. So like the, you know, there's a birth control vaginal ring, there's a hormonal IUD, um, any form of hormonal contraception seems to increase a woman's risk, um, for subsequently developing anxiety or depression. Right. And it also, there's really good evidence suggesting that being on hormonal contraceptives. And again, I include in this list, everything ranging from the pill all the way down to the, the hormonal IUD, which by the way, some people's doctors, some women's doctors tell them, that the effects of those hormones only act locally, right? The, the hormones so they, that are on an IUD. So you can basically coat yes. the IUD in birth control pills and stick it in. Right, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, so the, there's an IUD in, in the U.S. It goes by the name of Mirena. It's the Mirena IUD, and it's got sex hormones. It releases um, sex hormones. It releases uh, progestins, and um, which, of course, travel everywhere in the body because that's what hormones do. They go into the bloodstream, and they travel from top to bottom. Wait, wait a but minute. some do women's you, doctors... Are you, are you telling me that the testosterone pellet I have just under the skin of my butt doesn't work just on my butt? Right. No, I know. I know, I, you were just, right? I know. I know you were just doing that, like to like get, make your butt like really strong, um, which is like obvious. such an important uh, when, thing. Yeah, point, right? yeah, exactly. It's so strong with squeezing your vocal cords to sound really, <laughs> <laughs> to sound really masculine. Um, but no, some women's doctors tell them that this, that this IUD is acting locally and it's, it's, it's just influencing what's happening in their, with their ovaries and their, and their uterus. And it's ludicrous, but anyway, I'm, I'm sort of getting this, making a tangent. Um, but basically what this research finds is that, um, all forms of hormonal contraceptives and they actually found the risk was higher with the non-oral products. So for example, vaginal rings, um, the shot, um, the hormonal IUD, um, increases not only a woman's odds of developing uh, depression and anxiety, but also their um, their suicide risk. And um, these risk factors are particularly pronounced for adolescent women. So these are women who are 19 and younger who are going on the birth control pill. And this research finds that um, the odds ratios for them of uh, suicide risk and then developing um, depression and anxiety are vastly higher than they are for non-hormonal contraceptive using women of that age range and also for older women, right? And um, because of this, it's super important um, that we are very careful with um, adolescents on the birth control pill. Um, and it's something that I think that, 
you know, in America um, in particular, our doctors tend to um, prescribe the birth control pill to these young girls for everything, you know, starting sometimes at ages 13. My daughter, who's 12, um, has contemporaries um, at her school who are on the pill. And it's not because it's sexually active at 12 because um, they have their period and it's heavy and uncomfortable or their skin is starting to break out and they're feeling self-conscious about it. And their doctors are putting them on the birth control pill, which I think is, um, you know, especially given the growing body of research linking, especially young ages, um, pill use and uh, depression and suicide risk. Um, But also it's like the brain doesn't begin or doesn't stop developing until you're like 22 Right. And so and during post pubertal brain development during adolescence, when your brain is changing into its adult form, like the head contractor in that remodeling project is your sex hormones. Oh, my god! So your sex, so your sex hormones are calling the shots in terms of the way that your brain is being organized. And so and then we're putting these girls on the birth control pill. And we have absolutely no idea because there's really no good research on what that's actually doing in terms of the organization of the brain. Um, to me, it just feels reckless. It feels like a, a, a total lack of connection between, um, you know, like, like, you know, practicing medicine and then actually understanding how the body works and how development works. And the idea that you would change up somebody's sex hormones when their brain is still developing for something as minor as, as, you know, cycle regularity just seems outrageous to me. And, um, there was a study that I actually just got sent. Uh, it was sent to me by the researcher who did the studies, this guy, Larry Cahill, who's at, um, UC Irvine and he's a birth control pill researcher and a really good one. And he did, a um, a study recently looking at the, um, at looking at adolescent pill use. So again, looking at 19 and younger women, um, and comparing the risk of depression, developing depression in adulthood um, from women who are no longer on the pill, just based on whether they used it during adolescence or not. So in other words, does using the pill during adolescence increase your risk of depression in adulthood, even after you're off of the pill? And what, what they found was it does. How, how big of a difference? It was a pretty big difference. It was uh, the, the it was like the it was almost I think it was tw- like I don't remember if it was twice the risk factor. I was just reading the paper and I'm actually going to be rereading it like more carefully because I'm actually going to be talking about it um, uh, um, next week. And so I'm going to like sit and like and sort of plot the differences down. But it was it was a pretty substantial increase in the risk of developing depression in adulthood. And what this tells us is that there's probably something developmentally that's going on when you go on the birth control pill in terms of the organization of the brain that may change a woman's risk of developing mental health problems later on in life, even after birth control pill use is discontinued. This is kind of a conundrum because I think your book is is reasonably balanced. You talk about the fact that women who are on the pill are statistically more likely to get higher education and fulfillment mm-hmm. in fields that women oftentimes didn't excel in, like law, medicine, science, business sort of things. Is that happening just because there are, are women who are uh, not having kids at a younger age can actually have the time to, and the money to go to school? Is that what's causing it? Or is it because of changes in the brain from the pill? Or do we not no, know? No, it's 
No, it's because um, it, it, it could be like, we don't know for certain. I mean, that my, if I had to like place my, my money on a bet, like I would bet on um, women, like the ability to plan Right. And know that um, I'm not going to have a baby in the next 10 years because I don't have to because I'm on the pill and um, and and I have resources and I don't have to worry about caring for anybody else but myself. Um, that allows women like when they're able to make plans um, that allows them to achieve things. Right. Because they will, you know, nobody's going to start medical school if they don't think they're going to finish. Yeah. Right. And as soon as we gave women access to the pill, like what you see um, in 1970, when the pill became legally available to um, to single women, what you saw is that women's um, the percentage of uh, female applicants to law, uh, medical programs, Ph.D. programs went from being about 10 percent to being 50 percent within 20 years. It was just like, wow. bam. And it's because it's like it gave us the ability to plan you know, and, and like to feel like, all right, if I start this, I'm going to be able to finish it. And so the pill has been really amazing for women just in terms of allowing us to feel like we have control over our fertility. Right. And I think that the ability to control our fertility is like the biggest women's rights issue out there. And, and we need to really protect women's access to every mode of fertility regulation that's out there that they can, that they want to be able to safely use. I think that, um, you know, women need to have their eyes wide open um, when they're making choices when it comes to the birth control pill, because it's like you can pick your poison, right? Um, and, and I think there's something to that. But with, but with these young girls, um, with these adolescents whose brains are still developing, that's where things where I, I start to say, well, you know, let, let's really rethink this. That's period. just dangerous at, at this point, that, that the risk reward isn't there. And I'm a human guinea pig. I try all sorts of stuff, but I look at risk reward before I do it. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm 100% with you and kids. I'm also, though, I, I'm reminded of a, a guy uh, earlier in my career, um, my friend Shiva uh, from uh, India, and he worked on my team. He was at the top of his class from one of the IITs. These are kind of like the, the Wharton or Harvard of, uh, um, of India. And he said, Dave, you know, things are really different uh, in, in India. He said, when I was in college, if a girl tried to talk to me, I would hold my book up in front of my face because I didn't want to be distracted because I had to study. So, okay, right. that's just rude. Um, but you know, that was, geez, probably like 30-something years ago um, when he would have been doing that. Um, but it, it was that idea of I'm going to stay focused. So given what you just told me about the pill and that it basically reduces your interest in men, part of this might simply be, okay, I went on the pill and I was able to focus because I was less just obsessed with dating. And of course, right. guys, same thing. I can tell you that the vast majority of my time in college was spent thinking about women and food and not really about my studies because we're wired to do that, right? right. Um, especially when your hormones are surging in your you know, late teens, early 20s. That, that's what we do. So maybe some of this is actually a benefit of this because look, if you have right. a little bit less uh, or maybe more predictable desire, you'll make better decisions and you'll stay focused on the career track that you've consciously chosen instead of letting your hormones and you know your your um, mitochondria call the course of action, which is reproduce the species right now where we'll all die, which is what we all believe when we go on a bad date. Right. Yeah. No. And I think that you're absolutely right about that. I mean, uh, there's no question about it um, that when you are on the birth control pill, it blunts 
you know, your sort of attunement to sex related stimuli. So it, it, it blunts your attunement to your own sexuality. It blunts your attunement to men. It blunts their attunement to you. Um, and because of this, yeah, like if you're at times in your life when those types of distractions are counterproductive, you can use the birth control pill, right, as a way to sort of um, help meet your life goals, right? If you want to focus on not sex, take the pill. Like if you want to focus on, yeah, like doing other things besides um, daydreaming about about men, yeah, go on the pill. And, um, and it'll help you, it'll help you to do these things. But this is like, this is like such, it's really, you know, this is like really great. I mean, it's, it's so important to have this information, right? Because we can use this to our benefit. Um, because women who are like hoping to find a partner, like, all right, now's the time. Maybe I don't use the birth control pill. Women who are hoping to get their PhD, now's maybe a really good time to be on the birth control pill. I mean, there's a lot that we can do, um, with this information to sort of, you know, make our lives, um, into the lives that we want. You can also try it and then say, you know what, my anxiety and depression just went through the roof. (laughs) Oh, now I know that those are common effects. Maybe I'll go off of it because, uh, you know, staying focused on my studies wasn't worth it. Uh, right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's all about picking your poison. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like for each one of us, there's there's trade-offs that we're willing to make that other people wouldn't be willing to make. And this is really about giving people that information. I mean, it's like I mostly eat like I eat a, I eat a very clean sort of healthy diet, exercise and meditate. I like, do the whole thing. Right. But like I really like um, whiskey. Right. And so like but I'll like I like won't like drink a ton of but like I'll like have a whiskey. Right. I like whiskey. I know it's not great for me right? Like, a, like yeah. you know, it's not good for my liver, but like, I, I know what I'm doing. I make the choice to do it anyway. I'll have a whiskey if I want one. Uh, you know, there's all sorts <laughs> of things that everyone does. I mean, there's a lot of people, I'm going to have the cheesecake and I know it's not good for me, right, but yeah. I'll cope. Right. right. And so I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to come out from this episode with everyone who's heard this, who's going, oh my God, I'm on the pill or my daughter's on the pill. Like, what have I done? Uh, you know, right. I, I'm a bad person. You know, how can I ever forgive myself? Dude, chill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so it, it's really important you don't develop a panic response about it because right. what percentage of women, at least in the U.S., um, are on the pill uh, when they're in their fertile years? Um, well, th- what the research shows is that about 85% of women will be on it at some point. Jesus in their- H. Christ, it's that high? This yeah, is a we'll, population we'll level experiment that's never been tested. I know. I know. No, I know. It's, it's, um, no, it, it hasn't. And wow. it is. Yeah. So most women will, will try it. Now, here's the thing is that uh, about half of women who go on the pill go off of it right away. Okay. Because, because they can't stand the way that it makes them feel. Um, and, you know, and, and think about this for a minute. Think about the fact that you know, 85% roughly, and I think, I think it's 85% exactly, but I don't remember the figure off the top of my head. So let's say 85% of women will go on the birth control pill and 50% of them are going off of it because it's just the the way it makes them feel psychologically is intolerable. Um, And yet the pill has been around for 60 years and women have been given no information about what it's doing to them psychologically. I mean, wow. it's just crazy. It's just crazy to me that um, that it's it's taken so long. Like, actually, when I came up with the sort of idea that um, when it sort of dawned on me that, oh, my gosh, we're doing this big experiment where we're fundamentally changing generations of women 
um, in the names, you know, in the name of um, fertility regulation, like um, what does it do to the brain? And then finding this research, um, I thought, I mean, I was shocked that nobody had written the book already. And that was when I decided I had to write the book because I couldn't believe it didn't exist. Um, and that this information hadn't been given to women and that we had just sort of been led to believe that um, all of these things that we were reporting were, you know, these idiosyncratic things that are just really specific to us and we must be imagining it and, um, you know, it's not real. Um, and so it, it was really time to get this information out there. So many women. I, I think it is time. And it's also time to, to just say, okay, if you're not going to be on the pill and you want to have a degree of career or academic success, there are long-standing practices that men and women have used, and they are different for men and women to tap into, uh, leverage, control, and use sexual desire to create amazing things in the world. Right. And, and some of it is, you know, community. Women have had their, you know, women, uh, women sewing circles and they get together and they talk about whatever they talk about. I don't know. I don't go to those. Uh, and, and guys get together and, uh, I, I don't know, throw darts, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but a lot of that, those, those times where it is, you know, talking about stuff that's really specific to your hormone profile, um, right. where a lot of that has gone away and maybe there's a, a need for that. And some of the really old traditions, um, that have largely stopped in the last couple of generations around looking you know, the rites of passage and things like that, where you're like, all right, you got to own that. Yeah. You're horny all the time. What are you going to do with it? Um, that's a part of being a young adult and right. to suppress it with drugs probably isn't the best way to handle that. Um, because as you just eloquently wrote in your book, uh, there are a lot of unintended consequences here, and now we know what they are. And 60 years ago, we didn't. Six years ago, this was actually, this was freedom. Uh, right, well, yeah. yeah, we're in this really weird space right now, though, where, like, being human has been created, like, it, it, we're, we're taught that it's a problem, right? Like, it's, it's, like, problematic to have sexual desire, right? It's problematic to need psychological well-being, right? It's problematic to not be able to work, you know, 65 hours a week without making it, you know, making you feel depressed. It's, it's like all of these, you know, things that are really just human emotions and experiences have been like, we've been trained that they're problematic. And um, rather than coping with them, we medicate them, right? Instead yeah. of like, like, wow, I'm, I get really anxious around people. It's like, no, that's like everybody is like we have to learn how to manage that, you know, as a human being, like you have to learn how to interact with people, um, even though you feel anxiety, you don't medicate that like, oh, I feel, you know, sexual desire and I'm thinking about sex when I should be doing, like, here's the medication for that. You know, it's like yeah. it's so like it's like it's like we've, we're in this weird space. That, we are. It's like, oh, I, I feel anxiety. OK, the antidote for that is courage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm feeling hunger. Well, the antidote for that is fast a little bit longer and find out you're not going to die. Like own your hunger. And then right. I feel like I'm going to die if I don't go on a date. Go on a date and don't have sex and see if you die, right? You okay. probably won't. And after a little while, you get used to it. And then it's called owning your power. But man, I, I don't know how we teach people to do that anymore. I don't know who taught me to do that. I, I think I had to do a lot of work. <laughs> but uh, And I'm probably still doing it. Uh, but it's... It, it's fascinating that by writing a book about what the pill is doing to our brains and our psychology and by studying the evolutionary history of that, you've 
you've really brought some thought-provoking, important things to light. And uh, the book is called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, and your website is sarahehill.com. But I, I, I want to thank you for doing that and just encourage like, you listening to this. I guarantee you, given that 85% of women in the US um, have been on the pill or are on the pill, this is affecting your life. And I don't care if you're a man or woman. I don't care if you're one of the 15% who's never taken the pill. The women around you are doing that. And we didn't even talk about the fact that you don't think your hormones as a woman will change in response to the women around you. We know that they do because- if you're with a group of women not on the pill and you stay in a you know in a close proximity for a while, your cycles will all sync and they'll sync with the moon too. So we all affect each other all the time. We all send out a hormonal signal to the world around us and reading this book is gonna blow you away whether or not you're thinking about going on or off the pill. So check it out. This is your brain on birth control. Totally worth reading. It'll blow your mind. Sarah, Thank thanks you. for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.